Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. This week we continue our trip back, 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 back into the uh, quarter decades of, or half decades of, of TV shows. This week it's 2005 to 2009, a very <laughs> fascinating year for television for me. And uh, this was tough. There's like three shows that I was like, I really want to put these on my list, but I think my other ones uh, need to need to be up higher on here. So I got a bunch of stuff that got bumped off. So mm. we'll get to that a little bit later. But Rodrigo, what do you have for your number five? Uh, my number five, and I will say that I have a, I could have, I have a lot of also rants in this. Apparently this, these five years were very active TV watching for me. Um, my number five is burn notice, I guess. Like there's something about burn notice that is just infinitely inoffensively watchable. Like I put on an episode of burn notice and I kind of zone out and there's action and there's smooching and there's like guns and, Often Bruce, Bruce Campbell, Campbell is there, yeah, yeah. Um, which is great. Uh, the main character, is, I believe his name is Michael in the series, but he's just like such a like kind of standard looking like TV white guy that it's like hard. He just gives you nothing and mm-hmm. you can just put whatever you want onto him. USA Network um, protagonist guy. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but once I force myself to focus on it, it's actually not a bad show. It's the story of a burnt spy who goes to live in Miami because they won't let him leave because he's burnt um, and becomes kind of a Robin, Robin Hood character. Uh, you know, he's trying to make money. He's trying to get ahead. He's trying to find the people, who the, the ongoing stories that he's trying to find who burnt him. But in the meantime, he ends up helping a lot of people through basically semi-legal means or completely illegal means. And I'm like, this is a, this is actually a fun show. This is a good show. It's a good protagonist. There's He has good motivation. He has every reason to be like this hard ass, but actually he's, you know, he's got a heart of gold. He's like pretty much everything what you want that you want out of like a semi-action-y weekly USA type series. So my mm-hmm. number five, Burn Notice. One of the things I liked about that show was it was so... Uh, unconventional in terms of television. Uh, number one, it was one of the very first shows that I ran into that was not paid premium cable that uh, was only like 13 episodes. And yeah. then the second thing about it was they were like, you know what? We're not going to run this and try to compete with ABC, NBC, CBS, FX Network, any of that stuff. We're running this stuff the week after all the other shows are done so that there's nothing else on. Yeah. And yeah, so, it was like a late season kind of a thing. Yeah, they specifically ran it during the summer because they're like, oh, forget about all the other reruns. We've got new shows every week for Burn, Burn Notice. And I was like, okay, I'll watch yep. this. And it's like, oh, it's got Bruce Campbell in a double bonus. So Yeah, it's like USA and like sort of the uh, NBC family at that point was putting out so much stuff that they really could just afford to have ga- like show like new shows in the off season. And somebody mm-hmm. was going to get stuck on them. Yep. And that person was me. Yep, and me too. So, not on my list, though. Matthew, what do you have for number five? I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Burn Notice. I oh, mean, I, I, I know good. about it. Yeah, yeah. But My number five is actually part of an ongoing series, but 
after season six, it became new episodes, basically a new show every single season. And that's why I feel like I can get away with 2009's Power Rangers RPM, which is what I like to refer to as the Watchmen of Power Rangers. Basically, it's the last season that was done, I believe, by Disney. Uh, No, it was uh, by ABC. But here's the thing. They thought the show was getting canceled. So they said, hey, the show's getting canceled. Let's go out on a big note. So they destroyed the world. The five Power Rangers are gathering the last survivors in one of the few cities, like the last city under a dome. But the evil computer virus that destroyed the world is actually still active. And it turns out that their Zordon figure, the woman who actually brought them together and gave them powers, accidentally created the virus in the first place. So it's very weirdly dark, especially for a Power Rangers show. And you have a really entertaining cast of kids. Uh, One of the kids is uh, the lead character in iZombie now. And another one of them, Eka Darville, was in season one of Jessica Jones. um, And he was their Red Ranger. Just a really great cast. And it has a sense of humor about not only itself, but about being what they thought was the end of the Power Rangers series. And at one point, somebody was making fun of the team. And it's like, red's the leader and green's the clown. What are you? The Blue Ranger gives the perfect response. I'm Scottish. I don't know why that's funny, but it really is. And when you get to the point where, actually, the current Power Rangers season is kind of a quasi-sequel to Power Rangers RPM 10 years down the line, not that that really means anything, you know. If you're over 16, you're probably not going to be super hot on the Beast Morphers. But if you are somebody who wants to know, what does Matthew see in this Power Rangers stuff? You could not go wrong watching Power Rangers RPM. It's only like 30 episodes. Uh, the main villain is just the most beautiful woman in the known universe. She ended up playing Mary Queen of Scots on the CW for like five years. Uh, but, you know, she wears a little cyborg suit, runs around. It's a whole kicky thing. Power Rangers RPM, my number five. Very cool. So a lot of people know that uh, I kind of go off on a jag when people are like, oh, the villain is my favorite person of all time. Like Darth Vader is the best. I want to emulate Darth Vader. Or, oh, man, I want to uh, emulate Lex Luthor or the Joker. I want to be just like them. I think they're the greatest. And that just drives me up the wall because the villain is not supposed to be the hero. Except in the case of my number five where we run into a guy who is, uh, some people might say white trash, some people might say a sympathizer to certain administrations, uh, but he's a thief, he's a con artist, and he's a ne'er-do-well. And then one day, he gets the winning lottery ticket and immediately gets hit by a truck and winds (laughs) up in the hospital. But while he's in the hospital, he learns about karma, and he learns about being a good a good Buddhist, essentially. And he sets out to make himself a better person. And he's going to do that by making a list of every bad thing that he has ever done. And one by one, he's going to go back and right those wrongs, even if it hurts him, even if it's something that might hurt him in the long run. Unfortunately, he's got a brother who's a little bit dumber than he is and an ex-wife who's scamming him for his money. But My Name is Earl is a show that came out that really kind of said, ah, here is something that is trying to do good and trying to send a, a good message 
And this is, you know, right around the time when every single network had like 15 reality television shows with the, like the worst people in the entire world. Uh, but my name is, my name is Earl is a fantastic little show that has a good message in it and is really trying to say, look, you could have done bad things in the past, but there's a path to redemption. And Earl Hickey was definitely doing that in that NBC show. And uh, it's my number five came out in 2005 and really the first two seasons are the best seasons of that show. So there you go. Uh, we are now up to our number fours. Rodrigo, what do you have for number four? Uh, my number four is uh, Community, um, which came out in 2009. Uh, Community is, uh, on the surface, the story of a motley group of... Um, community college students who get together to study for Spanish class. But in reality, it's a uh, sort of an ongoing, uh, uh, in, a, in a sense, love letter, in a sense, like dressing down of television tropes. Mm. Um, the character of Abed uh, is very aware of, um, or rather, only really understands social interaction through what she, what he's seen in television. So he frequently um, calls out tropes that are happening. And because it is, in fact, a TV show, he's just telling you what tropes are in play, um, which you which actually greatly enhances the show as uh, it gives you that opportunity to call something out before you subvert it or change it or whatever. Um, Community went on for a long time. It started kind of losing cast members and gaining new cast members as you got to the end. I think by the end of its tenure, it had switched, and I use this word loosely, networks a mm. couple of times. Um, but those first two, three, four seasons are really strong. Um, I used to... I watched i used to watch the show constantly or just watch mm -hmm. a season then the next season then whatever season i was up to and then start over from the beginning it's really funny really good times um a friend of mine recently got into it and was talking to me about it and i was thinking to myself it's been a while since i went back and watched community it's like don't please it's christmas it's december 10th Quack. <laughs> uh so yeah community real good do you, uh, have you so you haven't gone back to watch it yet? Do you think it will hold up, or do you think it's going to be like this weird thing? And also, do you think it will be tainted by everything that came after they fired uh, Dan Harmon and forced it off to whatever it was Hulu or whatever channel that that it ended up on Yahoo Screen? Yeah. So uh, in a in a previous show, I talked about uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend and how I kind of made myself keep watching past the point where I had sort of dropped the show. I don't know that I would do that with Community. Mm. I I lost a lot of my interest after Troy leaves. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that if I started watching it again and got into it again, if I would actually want to continue watching. I, I did keep watching after Troy left for a while. And there are some good shows in during that time but i don't know the show kind of goes in some weird directions that i don't necessarily like and uh as far as holding up i feel that it does 
um, there's another show in my list that I feel like really has started to not hold up, but we'll get to that. All right. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for number four? My number four was almost community. And then I thought it really didn't hold up for me because they put it in syndication after season three. And I'm like, man, I don't want to watch this anymore. But one thing that I did want to watch, uh, I accidentally bumped into this show because at one point when I was working in call centers, I ended up being the sole manager in the sole call center for a company uh, whose shall remain nameless called Flow TV, which was basically wireless television, uh, specifically aimed at truck drivers, where you could buy a little device about the size, half the size of a tablet, and get television programs on it through a cellular signal, no matter where you went. So you wouldn't, you know, ever lose your signal. You could watch your channels. One of the channels for some reason was comedy central, which was incessantly playing its shows. And one of the shows that it played incessantly was the Sarah Silverman program, Mm -hmm. which ran from like 2007 to 2010. Um, If you know, Sarah Silverman's comedy style, I feel like you understand a little bit about what I find funny, the show itself actually delves a little further into the, the cringe comedy things that I don't necessarily care for. I mean, one of the reasons I can never really get into um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia is just the fact that. Oh, Oh, is it in the first episode where it's all about a Nazi uniform? Because that kind of turned me off right there. Yeah. But the Sarah Silverman program has some of the similar issues and a similar tone but sarah plays basically sarah and her sister laura who's not an actor but in fact a rabbi plays her sister laura and they have this really huge cast including brian posein who i love love brian posein to death because he just sort of walks in and starts talking um and of course the running gag about uh, sarah's dog named doug that she found in the trash but it's really ridiculous over the top comedy. And some of it gets to a point where you're just like, this is family guys screaming at things until somehow they try to become relevant and funny. But other episodes, you're just like, wow, this is just effortlessly brilliant, just amazing. And at one point, you know, Sarah just starts having conversations with God and God shows up and God's like, Hey, how's it going? And then later on in the series, she accidentally has a one-night stand with God, and it's really awkward, so she can't go talk to him anymore. And I'm just like, man, you had me, and then you lost me, and then you brought me back. And I just I don't know how they do it. But if you really, really like comedy that is so uncomfortably awkward that you laugh, then you stop laughing, and then you're very upset, and then you start laughing again. You could do worse than to watch the Sarah Silverman program. Plus, you know, Sarah's cute as a button and she, you know, jumps around and does stuff. It's kind of neat. All right. There we go. Uh, my number four. I don't remember. I think the reason why we ended up with um, HBO during this time period was Deadwood was on television and I could not get enough Deadwood. And so we had HBO for a long time. Uh, also, Carnival was also going strong at that time. Uh, but for some reason, one night we stumbled across this crazy little show, uh, about New Zealand's fourth most popular guitar based, uh, digibongo acapella rap funk comedy folk duo. 
And my wife and I were both hooked on the adventures of Brett and Jermaine and their adventures in trying to get booked and trying to become famous. And of course, talking about Flight of the Concords. Uh, it is a comedy show, 30 minute comedy show. So it's, it's, it's not that long and you can certainly find these uh, fairly easily um, out there. Uh, but I, the, it was just so fascinating to see them try to gain this audience and try and, and stumble through the adventures of, you know, a small indie group. But one of the best parts was every episode featured a musical number by these guys. So even if the story wasn't that good, you always got a little low budget music video in every episode. And Flight of the Concords was so great, including, I forget who their manager's name was. Um... Uh, I can't even remember what the manager's name was, uh, but it's played by uh, oh, Murray. Like Daryl or something. Yeah, Murray was his name, played by Reese Darby. Oh. And uh, it's so good. He was probably even better than than Brett and um, Brett, Brett, not Brett, uh, and Jermaine. Uh, but, you know, they've gone on and done some pretty amazing things afterwards. Jermaine has done all sorts of uh, stuff with Disney over the last couple of years doing stuff. Uh, but Flight of the Concords came out in 2007. Very fun show, full of laughs. I think this is one that would still hold up today, uh, but that is my number four top five TV show from 2005 to 2009. Let's get into our number threes, Rodrigo. All right. Number three, uh, as promised, uh, a show that kind of starts to fray at the edges for me, uh, but I enjoyed greatly when it came out was 30 Rock. Um, 30 Rock came out in 2006. Uh, it was part of a weird package deal with uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip uh, where NBC put out two shows about Saturday Night Live. One was a comedy and one was a drama and amazingly only the comedy survived and by amazingly I mean obviously. <laughs> um, but uh, 30 Rock is the story of a the female head writer of The Girly Show on NBC um, and as uh, NBC is bought by General Electric, um, a new boss is put in. You know, he's a conservative, like hardline, like business guy. She's a wacky, free spirit writer. You know, the comedy writes itself. Oh, who is also a, herself a boss to a like absolute menagerie of weirdos uh, in both her cast and her writer's room. Um, 30 Rock is really fun and really funny. Uh, really the only issues that I ever run into is that I feel that like Tina Fey just always felt that it's like Tina Fey always wanted to go there. And most of the time she's good, but sometimes it's not that great. There's some mostly kind of racial stuff that's in 30 Rock that in 2006 seemed incisive, but now it just seems uh, like kind of directionlessly like mean or something like that. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's, it's just like, why is this here? Um, and in 2006, very clear reason why it was there is because that's kind of where entertainment-wise we were with race. You know, cut to today. It's like, nah, I let's just let's just pretend that just didn't happen. Um, still, very funny show, infinitely quotable. Um, lots of great weird characters. Um, 
you know, uh, who doesn't identify with Liz, a uh, person who wants work, life, and everything to just kind of work out for her, who's trying hard to have it all, um, but often just ends up uh, watching or, yeah, just crashing a couch, watching TV, eating uh, off-brand Mexican Cheetos, uh, or, <laughs> you know, until she, until she passes out. So uh, my number three. 30 rock very cool rodrigo or i'm sorry uh matthew what do you have for number three <laughs> i get to be rodrigo this week uh yeah i really liked that uh clone high <laughs> because i'm rodrigo no because i'm matthew <laughs> i'm totally matthew and my cartoon at number three is a different cartoon uh and it follows one of the rules of major spoilers which is the rule that states everything's better with batman uh in this case everyone is better with batman because it's a team-up show, Batman, colon, the brave, and the bold. Mm-hmm. It is quite possibly, in fact, no, it's not possibly, it is my favorite take on Batman. Especially my favorite modern take on Batman, because it's almost, but not quite, a sequel, uh, tonally certainly a sequel, to the Batman 66 show. It takes a lot of the same characters and moments and it it treats them with similar i don't want to say reverence or irreverence but essentially it is the story of batman batman is the best at all he does and all the other superheroes hang around and they want to help him and he lets them help him and he travels in time and space and dimension and he punches evil and he does it all in a complete deadpan with the voice of oswald from the drew carey show including Wonderful moments where he, you know, goes back in time and accidentally inspires uh, a caveman to become Batman, which I thought was nice. I think the best part of it is that it embraces the silliness that comes with comic books. It embraces moments and says things like Plastic Man exists and he's goofy and that's fine. You can have the Joker. You can have the Red Hood. You can have serious moments where people are in danger and lives may be at stake and you can still have fun. And of course it gave us the greatest Batman villain of all time, the music Meister in a musical episode where Neil Patrick Harris and Gray Delisle basically sung their guts out. And at the very end, Diedrich Bader got to sing for about 10 seconds before they threw in a voice double. It's really, really well done. If you've never seen the show and you're like, well, I heard it was stupid. You heard wrong. Batman the Brave and the Bold is the best modern Batman, bar none, end of story, period, end of list. That's my number. Th- well, it's not the end of list because you know, there's two more on the list, but it's, it's the end of my number three. Yeah, Batman, I, I would oh, go ahead. I was going to say Batman the Brave and the Bold is really good because where Batman the Animated Series takes a look at kind of the golden age of Batman and really brings back the, the classic stories. And we look at things like uh, Batman Beyond, which is basically Batman, but in the future. What Batman the Brave and the Bold does is it tells and retells stories of the Silver Age and does it in such a way that at first you're like, I don't know if this is going to be any good. And then suddenly it becomes fantastic. I mean, yeah. the the whole thing with Aquaman as the recurring uh, character is <laughs> is so great. Uh, yes. But the the best part about Batman the Brave and the Bold, Matthew, isn't just the inherent silliness of it. It's that from the very first episode they laid the groundwork for things to come almost a second season or third season down the road 
because the way Batman the Brave and the Bold worked, which I thought was brilliant, was the opening segment of any TV show. Like in a comedy, you just have some little, you know, comedy bit that comes in. Here's the intro, and now let's get into the, the, the main story of the show. Batman the Brave and the Bold did this, but they did it with characters people may not be very familiar with, like Challengers of the Unknown, which was, I think, one of the very first ones where they were the first opening uh, segment. And they they go and they discover this crashed asteroid and then it opens up and, they, and we don't really know what's going on inside that. And then we go on to, you know, the main Batman story and who he's teaming up with that week, I think it was probably Green Arrow. But then over the course of that entire season, that cold open slowly starts to build and we realize, oh, my gosh, there is a Starro invasion going on to the point where one of the I think it was a two parter uh, that season. They had to do the whole uh, the invasion of Starro. And I got to say, the Starro uh, storyline in Batman, the Brave and the Bold is the best horror story that DC has ever told in animated form. And they could literally take that animated episode and turn it into a full length movie and people would go freaking nuts for it. That's how good Batman, the Brave and the Bold is. In fact, Batman, the Brave and the Bold is so good. (laughs) <laughs> I say Batman the Brave and the Bold is so good. How, How good is good it? Is it? It's my number two. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. What were you going to say about yes. Batman Brave and the Bold, uh, Rodrigo? I, I was going to say that uh, you can see, you, I, I can definitely see that uh, Brave and the Bold to be a definitive take on Batman, but because it had it starred so many characters that don't usually get a lot of time. Yes, I think it also has the definitive take on a lot of other ones. I love their Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I think it has pro- possibly the best Adam that we've seen. Uh, certainly the best Boana beast that we've seen. Oh yeah, um, and we saw Boana beast. Is really nice. Yeah, no, I mean, and the it. cool thing is, is these stories are direct adaptations of comic book stories, like the Batman of Zurnar. That's in there. You know, they they totally adapted those classic Silver Age stories from what, like 64 to about 72. Some of them even date back into the 50s. I mean, they they took that whole Silver Age period, basically anything that came after Batman started smiling and being out in the daylight and made it amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, They and you know what else they did? They used Jay Garrick. Mm-hmm. Anybody who uses Jay Garrick in in you know the 21st century, you have my vote, sir. Or Matt. well, and and the best part is that they use Jay Garrick and not in a like we feel that Jay Garrick is the bestest Flash. So screw all the other Flashes. Like right. a lot of people who will do a new take on something. Mm-hmm. It's yep. like it, it was like this is why Jay Garrick is cool without any disrespect to any other Flash, right? And same yeah. thing with like your Green Lanterns and everything. Yep. Yep, yep, that yep. was kind of cool. And they did Guy Gardner. Yep, Guy Gardner. Possibly and also the definitive animated Guy Gardner. Absolutely the definitive animated Guy Gardner. And it reminds you that we all hate Guy Gardner, <laughs> but he's also cool. You hate Guy Gardner and you love to hate Guy Gardner. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And Plastic Man is ridiculous. Yeah, Plastic, Plastic Man, Man has a trying great to story learn arc. history yeah. cracks me up. Yeah. Oh, no. He has a great story arc in there. I mean, the whole show is good. People really need to check it out. Do yep. be aware that it is Silver Age. And if you like oh, those Silver yes. Age stories or maybe you've never experienced Silver Age Batman, this is a good place to get your your Batman fix. OK, yeah. so uh, let's do my number three. 
You're number three. This yep. is the story of two stepbrothers who need to fill an entire summer. And I don't know <laughs> I how it. I don't I know how it. many days are supposed to be in summer, but I'm pretty sure that this show, Phineas and Ferb, went about three summers long uh, <clears throat> over the course of the four seasons and the specials and the crossovers. And they just recently had another movie that just came out uh, not too long ago. But Phineas and Ferb, the story of, you know, it's an integrated family of, uh, you know, uh, uh, people from, where is he from? Australia, I think, is where uh, Ferb is from. British. No, he's British. Oh, is he British? British? Okay, so he's British. Uh, and, um, you know, they get married to an American uh, family, and Phineas and Ferb are just these two brain geniuses who are trying to make summer exciting. And they may build a giant roller coaster. Uh, they may uh, fly up into the moon. They may do all sorts of, of crazy things. And they're going to get their friends involved with it. But the evil sister Candace is always trying to harsh their mellow and getting mom involved in their shenanigans so that uh, she can finally catch them and get them in uh, in major trouble. Now, throughout the process, uh, they may do some time travel. Uh, they have a pet platypus uh, named Perry the platypus, who is a, se- a secret agent, secret agent P. And he's going and fighting the horrible Dr. Doofenshmirtz, the mad scientist who's always got some plan up his up his sleeve. And uh, oh, man. This is a show again. This is one that we stumbled across uh, while uh, we were having uh, babies and kids and kids needing to watch some shows that were not crap shows on. Sorry, Rodrigo, not crap shows on uh, PBS Kids uh, (gasps) like that horrible, like that horrible naughty show. Um, yeah. And this was the show that we were able to switch my oldest over to. He would have been in 2007. He would have been two, I think, around this time. So it was just trying to get him off of the other stuff and onto this. And he latched onto this really well. And it was fun. It's always got a musical number in it for the most part. Um, people are always asking, where's Perry? And in the end, uh, it all comes together and everyone has fun. And Candace is always just like, well, I wasn't able to get you guys, but I'll get you one of these days. Wahaha. She twirls her mustache and goes and hangs out with her best friend. Uh, but Phineas and Ferb, such a great television show. If you haven't watched it, uh, it airs still nonstop today on the Disney Channel. You can probably find it on a streaming media in some way, shape or form. I'm pretty sure it's on Disney Plus because my youngest yeah, started watching through Disney it again. Plus. But uh, Phineas and Ferb, my number three. Did you know that the dad on Phineas and Ferb is actually Riff Raff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh, is he? Okay, cool. Yeah. I discovered that when he dressed up as Riff Raff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And in character set, this somehow feels right. And I'm like, okay, wait. I need Now I need to Google that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And That's the true. guy that does the voice of Ferb, Thomas mm-hmm. Brody Sang- Sangster, I think is how you say his name. Sangster? Sangster. Yeah. Past tense. Yeah. S A N S S A N G S T E R. He was in like three episodes of Doctor Who, I want to say. Yeah. Um, he was also, he's like the, I think he's the main hero in the Maze Runner movies now. I think really? is where, I, where I've seen him pop up again. What's um, a Maze Runner? Uh, it is a show about these kids that wake up and they're trapped in this place and they have to figure out their uh, a way out of this maze. And if they don't uh-huh. do it right, they're going to get killed. And Wait, do then, they run? Yes, they have I, to run. I always feel like Coach Z when I hear people talking about the Maze Runner. Like, hey, you're a Maze Runner? You gotta beat the Scourge Trials! <laughs> yeah, it's a trilogy of movies. I think it's also a, a book series 
Uh, But as they go along, they find out that they're like the chosen ones and there's a post-apocalyptic world and all this crazy stuff. But uh, I would, I only watched the first movie because it was during a time when I was like, oh, I'm going to watch the crappiest movies that I can find on Mm. Apple iTunes. And that was one of them. I think it had a rating of 13 uh, on the Apple or on the uh, tomato meter uh, freshness rating. And I was like, oh, I've got to check that out. And uh, so I watched that. So. Uh, but Phineas and Ferb still much better than the Maze Runner. It's my number three. We're on to our number twos. Rodrigo, what do you have for number two? Uh, my number two is a show that uh, a lot of people haven't heard of. And um, unless, of course, you listen to me and have heard me rave about it. Uh, and that's Mushi Shi, which came out in 2005. Um, Mushi Shi, so M-U-S- H-I dash S-H-I is the story of, uh, it's sort of the story of a man who travels the Japanese countryside, helping people deal with these creatures called Mushi, which are sort of like spirits. Um, And usually... Uh, it's not like Pokemon. The spirits aren't like running around kicking things over and, you know, causing outward havoc. It usually is that a person is basically ill in some way or is experiencing some weird supernatural situations. And uh, the main character shows up, uh, either treats them or finds the Mushi or whatever and talks to them about why the Mushi was attracted to them uh, in the first place. It's an extremely mellow show. It's slow. It's methodical. It's sort of like, uh, imagine like a Gendy Tartakovsky joint without the action. (laughs) So it's like Samurai Jack just like walking through the wilderness and then he gets somewhere and then he just talks to people. It's That's kind of what it is. And it is not a show for everyone, but it's a, again, it's a calm sort of relaxing show um the stakes are usually not super high but in a sense you know it's not like the world's gonna end but they are high because you get to know the people who are being affected by the mushi and how you know their lives are basically imperiled by these creatures um i strongly recommend it uh if I, i there's a at least two seasons and a movie. I think I only managed to watch one season because this show never stayed on a streaming service for very long. Um, and I think different seasons may be purchasable or, or biddable in like different ways. So it's also hard to track it down on its own. I don't know, maybe in Crunchyroll or something, but I don't have that. Uh, so yeah, my number two Mushishi 2005. All right. And just because I won't be doing my number two because I already did it, here's the Monchichi Dolls commercial. It's Monchichi, girl doll, boy doll. School time and football fan outfits are each. Oh, let's get to the song. Oh, man. that's uh, That'll take you back to your youth there, uh, Matthew. Uh, here's a bit of trivia. Yes. In in Spanish, or at least in Mexico, monchichis were um, uh, marketed as monquiquis ah. uh, because the word chichi means boob yeah. in 
Well, the funny I, thing was, regions. the Monkey G monkeys do have their little uh, they do. They're all about sucking their going. thumbs. Yeah, yep. so you can imagine the the issues there. <laughs> Matthew, what do you have for number two? My number two is a show that you probably haven't heard of a lot unless you listen to me on this show or have been conscious in the last 15 years because it ended in such a way that it made so many people angry that it somehow now has joined Lost in the pantheon of lack of payoff television shows. Uh, My number two is one of my favorite shows, How I Met Your Mother. It is a sitcom that is hard to describe because people are like, well, it's just like friends, but it's really not because the whole premise of the show is that you're being told a story by an unreliable narrator. And for a show that has an unreliable narrator for nine seasons, it has remarkably few continuity problems. The story that Ted is telling to his children works if you actually go back through it And most of the time, the references, even if they're goofy references, make sense. Canonically, if you break it down and go through the series in order, they don't make too many mistakes in terms of the flashbacks. They don't have a whole lot of moments where you're like, hey, this doesn't fit with this. And when they do, you're kind of like, oh, well, what are we going to do about that? Then they throw in a joke like, well, we never did find out what happened to the pineapple. But the show did not age well and much like community which almost made my list i really really loved community for a while and then when i stopped watching it i was just kind of like i seem to remember that show but i mean that's really it with how i met your mother i don't have that problem but there are certain parts of it that i have blocked out and the fact that one of the main characters is being taken at face value when he is clearly the most over-the-top parody of what it is that he's doing does kind of bug me. If you meet people who are totally into the bro code, those people are wrong, and they're not getting it. They're missing something, and they need to go have a talk with Neil Patrick Harris about what he was actually doing. But if you like a show that's funny, if you like a show that messes with your perceptions— if you like a show that the metatextuality is built in so they can make a joke, like, say, the narrator forgets what's going on, so the characters on set have to sit there awkwardly for a minute and look at the camera and look at each other and try and figure out what they're going to do until he remembers the story. If you get – okay, if you want to understand this, the last word of season one – or excuse me, season two – is actually half a word that doesn't end until the first word of season three. Hmm. So, literally, a character says, wait for it, and you have to wait three months. If that sounds like it appeals to you the way it appeals to weirdos like me, you should definitely check out How I Met Your Mother. And if people tell you that the ending ruined it all, don't listen to those people. Those people, I mean, they're probably right, but don't listen to them. You don't have to watch the ending. Just watch the good episodes with Victoria. That's what I Yeah. Think. If people tell you that the ending ruined it, this show ha- went on for like eight seasons. You probably won't get to it. Yeah. You'll you'll never make it all the way through. You're all not going to make it. Six is pretty dire. Seven brings it back and eight, eight is solid. And I really like the fact that nine takes place over a 48 hour period. Yeah. So I mean, great nice. stuff. Great yeah. stuff. All right, we have made it to the top of our list. Our number ones, Rodrigo, please amaze us and dazzle us with your number one show from 2005 to 2009. Uh, My number one is uh, what I hope was the compromise uh, 
uh, for not having How I Met Your Mother mm-hmm. on my list with Matthew. But we'll see, because we didn't talk ahead of time. Uh, my number one is Avatar, The Last Airbender, <laughs> um, which came out in 2005. And um, really is a... Uh, so to, to frame it, for decades now, people have been asking, is Avatar The Last Airbender actually, like, anime can you have american anime and of course my answer to that is shut up it doesn't matter Um, (laughs) but this is an american show that has a lot of uh fairly well researched uh asian influences um and it shows uh and it's not just because uh, the martial arts are good or because the set pieces are good or, or anything like that. It shows that this show has a lot of time, effort, and love sort of built into it. It has a, um, it has a simple cosmology but a deep mythology. It has um, characters who, uh, for example... Um, you start out sort of with three main characters, but throughout the show, not only do each of those characters have a completely memorable and palpable arc, but also at least three or four other characters get a full arc that doesn't really interfere with anybody else's. They're just sort of interwoven in a really good way. Um, I, you know, I haven't even gotten to the stuff where like people are shooting fire out of their hands or like, uh, crushing, you know, somebody like stomps their foot down and makes a chunk of a continent float away into an island. <laughs> that stuff happens, but that's not the important stuff. The important stuff is if you can figure out who the blue grid is. No, the important stuff is all of the relationships um, that the characters have and um, seeing them grow and change because they start as like, you know, pretty young kids uh throughout the series and it's that although again we always get em- uh, embroiled in questions of like what was this was this good was this a good thing the fact that it's two non-asian dudes doing this show bringing in all the stuff like was that right was that correct i don't know i don't <laughs> probably not but the the core of the show is a positive one and the message of the show is positive and um it uh really kind of stands as um one of the real like forerunners of what we are in now which is like this consistent uptick in animation quality once you know uh Nickelodeon and Disney and Cartoon Network kind of got side of you know what happens when you build a show and you make it good and you build an audience uh just kind of what what you can get out of it yeah it is a good show i really like it so uh matthew what do you have for number one well i do not have avatar because i presumed that one or both of you would and i thought hey if I don't have Avatar, that means that I can have something else on my show. And then it occurred to me that one of the seminal founding moments, the hugest influences in my life, is a show that debuted in 2005, sort of. 
because in 2005, the BBC created a new season of Doctor Who after about a 15, 16, 17-year gap and treated it as a new show rather than just a revival. A whole new idea, all of this new stuff. A bald man is the main character, had a northern accent. It was a whole big deal. And at first, it was not clear if this was in any way related to the previous show. So when I sat down to watch season one, I sat down to figure out what was going on. Here's this character. Here's all of these moments. They slowly build in things that we recognize. You meet, oh, here's a Dalek. Here's some things that we know. Here's some terrible backstory that ties into what we may or may not know. And in 2020... It's easy to see, oh, yeah, they yeah, they totally meant to do this all the way along. But I honestly watched that first season and wonder if it had taken off in a different way, whether they would have treated it as an entire reboot rather than a continuation of the previous show from 63 to 89. Either way, I'm fine with it because for a long time, Doctor Who fandom was a bunch of people sitting around and talking about existing episodes. And now we had new things to complain about and hate. Uh, and then, of course, at the end of season one, Christopher Eccleston leaves the show. The Doctor regenerates, bringing back you know the regeneration part and throwing in David Tennant, who is uh, the best modern Doctor for certain, one of the best Doctors of all time, if you ask me. And the show just built and built and built from there. And I feel like when it gets canceled again, I'm going to be heartbroken. But I know that 18 years down the line... Maybe we'll get to do this whole dance one more time. And all I have to do is hold out until Doctor Who comes back around. And since it's a time travel show, that may actually have been before I was ever born. Yeah, and so way, that's why they're my number one. I'm thinking with the way that they do their seasons now, which is like, hey, we've got four episodes and that's our season. There's they're probably like very little chance that they're going to cancel Doctor Who. Because I think it's eh. still I think it's still as popular as it's ever been. Oh, but yeah. uh, I I just with the short, short seasons that they have and the, like the three year gaps that they have between seasons. You are so exaggerating. Not by much. The, yeah, you are. Uh, because Dr. Who season 11, 10, whatever the season was ended in the spring of 2018. Then we had a Christmas special Then we did have a long gap and another Christmas special. And then we had, I think 10 episodes or 10 season of 10 and then so you're saying there was a season and then there was a gap and a christmas episode and then a year later another christmas episode and it was yeah and but then it was sometime after that another season so that's like two years seasons. yeah all right well doctor who certainly a good thing Time, okay, my one number one, one is not three steven my number one is one that uh i was very interested in because one of the things that george lucas was doing with the prequels is he was trying to show you how a democracy falls uh, with uh, with the with the Star Wars prequels. And then when Star Wars Clone Wars was announced, it's like, well, how are they going to tell all that stuff that was happening between, you know, between the movies? And they certainly did it. You got to see how they were trying to build coalitions. You got to see how uh, they were, twi you know, uh, twirling their their mustaches again and uh, figuring out ways to take down the Empire and how the Jedi were just oblivious to the whole thing. And Star Wars The Clone Wars is a super fascinating show uh, in that we get to see a lot of that mythology that is just glossed over in the main movies. We get to see that play out, um, you know, episode after episode. We get to see the introduction of some fantastic new characters. 
we get to see better backstory and 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 again uh, you can say sympathy building but you get to also see how Anakin Skywalker starts to fall and starts to lean towards the dark side as the show progresses this is a show that has gone on started in I want to say 2007 and has gone on until 2020 as the time of this recording they just did the the final season a couple of months ago on uh, Disney Plus uh, the the final season for now but we'll get some more but Star Wars The Clone Wars is such a good show. Uh, yes, there is stuff that you're not going to be very interested in at times. Yes, there's an entire episode where that's literally uh, them talking about trade agreements. And uh, I think that's the first time C-3PO shows up at the show. I can't remember. But um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating show to check out. Star Wars The Clone Wars, my number one top five show from 2005 to 2009 and beyond. Um, some of my also rands. The very first season of Heroes was very good. And then it, of course, all fell apart. Uh, Ben 10 almost made my list. But uh, Ben 10, another one that caught my kids' attention. Um, But just, just, just missed. Just missed it. Uh, Just because I think My Name is Earl was was, uh, a lot more fun. Rodrigo, you said you had some also rands? Yeah, um, ones that we haven't talked about: Samurai Champloo, mm-hmm. uh, Planet Earth, like the BBC series, uh, the first one, Chowder, yes, and uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Matthew, did you have some, um, some uh, 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 also rans? Also rans. I actually didn't because I got to the point where I had five. I'm like, yeah, this is a canonical five. There, are, there are none. There are no more. Unless you're like Grey's Anatomy, and you know, I could have, I could have done a list just in, in 2005. There are a lot of shows that I mm-hmm. like that came around in 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. There are our top fives. Why don't you head over to our Major Spoilers Discord server, jump in the top five channel, and share your list. People are keeping track there. People are having long discussions about our lists and their lists. And then maybe you can even post your list and people will talk about it. Why? Because everyone loves a list and we will talk with you soon. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.